Välkommen till Freuds Toolbox, skolans inspirationspodd med fokus på känslor, relationer, lärande och ledarskap. Tillsammans med Kenneth Freud får du inspireras av och lära av nationellt och internationellt ledande experter på evidensbaserat lärande och ledarskap. Hi everyone, today we will talk about uh, two areas. Of course, it's always about education, but an area that is of great importance to education. I won't tell you what, because I will use my guest to, to talk about that instead. The guest today is Efrat Furst, and she will actually get to introduce herself. I will maybe say something complimentary later, but I will let her introduce. Very much welcome, Efrat. Thank you so much, and I'm happy to be here with uh, everyone who is watching. Um, and yes, I'm. Um, my main profession professional focus is on bridging cognitive science and neuroscience science sometimes, uh, and education. Um, and I define myself as a communicator, something someone who is uh, busy uh, making those contents that come from science, um, learnable, something that you can learn, something that makes meaning makes meaning, and uh, is useful for people who teach it in, in every level and every discipline. So just that you know where I'm coming from. So my background is cognitive neuroscience. I've been a PhD student uh, investigating memory in a lab that was actually looking at memory in the biological a molecular um, level, actually looking at how neurons communicate uh, with one another. But I was doing research about human beings, um, experiencing uh, events and remembering them, of course. And I think it was some some uh, stage uh, towards the end of my PhD when uh, something happened. And I read a paper but by Rodiger and Karpiki about the testing effect, the effect that we learn better when we test ourselves. So tests not in the uh, meaning of testing uh, for um, evaluation or assessment, but for learning. So the idea um, reinvented itself. It wasn't invented, but it reinvented itself then about 20, between 2006, 2008. And I read this paper and I realized that the world, world that my worlds collide, neuroscience, cognitive science, and education. I was teaching a little bit at, the, at this time, not professionally yet. Uh, and I realized that these words connect. And if we talk about the testing effect, so I knew things about neuroscience uh, that when you reactivate a neural pathway, uh, it's a way to strengthen it biologically, the biological level we were working or my colleagues were working about it in the lab. And then the, the, the paper was a cognitive paper testing people's memory about facts and stories and words. And the same happened when people test themselves, they remembered better. So I saw the link between the cognitive science and the neuroscience, and of course, the implications for teaching. So this is where it all began. Later, I, I did my teaching certificate in the sciences, and I was teaching a little bit in schools. Um, 
but for the last more than the last decade i've been very busy in the uh, interchange of academic worlds teachers teachers education um, academic education uh, so i've be been teaching the science of learning i've been writing about it talking to teachers and 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 then again using it in my work okay i always even if i'm not talking about it specifically I'm using it as my ultimate toolbox, and I hope that you will do it, um, do the same. Um, so this is the background, and I'm happy to share some uh, uh, main points, maybe, right? Yeah, would be um, great. So recently, I've been asked to do short talks about the science of learning, and how do you do a short talk about something that you think is the most important, and the details um, are very, very important. Um, but it's always a good challenge, okay? And challenges are good. Uh, so I thought that there are four main things that teachers should know uh, about this field, the science of learning, and they are very helpful. Uh, so maybe I, I thought that in this short um, talk, we can talk about those four big yeah, things. Sounds great. Okay? So the first one is to be familiar with our cognitive systems, okay? How do we learn? We have stuff in our brain, systems that are identified that are doing the work. And they're doing an amazing work. We learn all the time. We learn a lot. We are very good at it. And, and we've even managed as uh, the human race to develop really complicated stuff. But this is where the problem begins, okay? I know to um, how to find my way in my neighborhood and I learn to speak and to do stuff. Uh, but the, we see challenge when it comes to more complicated stuff like learning the history of the world or mathematics and stuff like that. So this is where it becomes difficult. And this is where we have to become aware of these systems, their functions and the limitations. Okay, so um, this is the first point that I think is very important. And maybe if I can, I, I'll share a slide uh, to help me make this point. So again, we talk about three main systems that help us learn. Attentional system, waking memory, and long-term memory. And they do amazing stuff. So the attention system helps us select only those important things that we have to pay attention to. So you, maybe you know all these experiments that shows us how uh, we don't notice stuff uh, in our surroundings, even though our uh, we we perceive them with our senses, but we don't pay attention to them. So this is the attention system. Working memory as where is the mental space where thinking happens. Okay, so right now I need to uh, think about and say the right words. Um, and this is where working memory happens, even when we do a conversation, what to say, how things connect and stuff like that. And then there is the storage place, which is long-term memory, where we store everything that we know uh, in many stages. So these are amazing functions, if you think about it. They do an amazing job. But then again, as teachers, we have to be aware about the limitations. And this is the first point. Okay, so... We have to, so again, we have um, the, 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 the arrows are here are showing you the process. And the problem is that we lose a lot of information on the way. You can imagine red arrows coming out of the system. A lot of information is lost in the attention, in the working memory, in the long-term memory stages. And we were interested in this because sometimes it's not working. And this is where we are. We need to know what, what's go, what goes wrong. So these are the limitations. We know that these two systems are extremely 
limited in capacity and in time. We can only uh, process a few items at every uh, given moment. And this is the bottleneck of our system. We just can't, you know, if we could uh, learn, I don't know, 100 new words in a new language in a, in a minute, our learning process would look different, but we can't. We can only learn one or two, and this is not an easy task. So this is something important to understand that we are extremely limited and everything that we do in the classroom must take this into uh, consideration. The second limitation is here. Working memory is extremely big. We it's not limited at all. We don't know we don't know of any limit to to its capacity, and you can learn and learn and learn how much you how much you want. But the problem here that this system is I like to call it it's it's like a black box. We we don't really know it. We can't see it. We don't understand. Sorry, we don't understand um, how we really um, remember things, and sometimes we choose. Um, strategies that are not the right ones okay so if you consider that we have a lot of knowledge we are not sure how it looks like how to get to it some of it is conscious a lot of it is unconscious and from this um, conversation between conscious and un unconscious sometimes bias arise so we think that some stuff work in in one way but they don't and this is something that we have to know about our long-term memory and this is where cognitive science comes uh, comes into the picture they tell us about all these limitations because they do controlled experiments and they find, find out how limited is working memory on one hand and what are the strategies that are good for learning. And then again, do we choose to use them um, by ourselves? And often, as you might know, um, the answer is no. Uh, we don't know. And this is why cognitive science is extremely important. And it's very important on these two uh, junctions, maybe. If you connect to the working memory, then can you sort of give, give advice to teachers? What, what would that mean for them in the classroom then? So, of course, um, and there is a lot of literature and practical ideas about how we um control and manipulate carefully working memory. It means that when students hear a new concept, they have to realize what this concept is about. They yeah. cannot try to understand three, four new concepts at the same time. For example, if I want, if I'm teaching language and I want my students to read a story, okay? And mm -hmm. if in this story, they have more than three, maybe four new words, they won't get to the point where they can understand the story. Okay, so we, I can do a lot of things to make the, the story uh, understandable in, in a lot of strategies that I have as a teacher. But if they have more than a few word, unknown words in that text, they won't be able to understand. So for example, something that I can do is to take those new words and teach them in advance, okay? And teach the new words. So it might be boring and it might, might not be the best way to do stories but if i do this in advance then i can do the story uh, tomorrow or in the next yeah. lesson so this is something that we uh, we we need to um do things in small chunks yeah. um so this is something and it's important you know and, and other examples from from math teaching is for example sometimes we want to to give students an open question but if they have to that they have to solve the the exercise by themselves yeah, yeah. But if they have to understand what I want for them and how to do it, and the procedure is not yet 
uh, sunk in or consolidated. Yeah. Uh, it might be too difficult for them. And just holding those things in their mind, they are not focusing on the most <laughs> important aspect. And probably no. uh, working correctly with working memory is um, eliminate distractions and eliminate something that is not the focus of the current uh, task. So, for example, it would be helpful for them if I show them, if I model for the first day, for the first um, time. And then maybe I give give them just a little bit, a little bit of something to do by themselves. And only in the fourth or maybe fifth iteration, they do it by themselves. And, you know, each teacher and their own subject. But sometimes those things uh, can help us. We, we always remember that some students know more, so they can do it, but this does yeah. not mean the others can. So sometimes yeah. these strategies, and this may be uh, the point that I like the most about cognitive, cognitive science, if we use these strategies, we actually um, apply, I, I don't know. Um, you can manage the diversity in the classroom more exactly. as well. So it, yes. We'll so to, I'm, a more inclusive classroom. Absolutely, because yeah. I'm actually doing the right thing for everybody. Yeah. And I'm allowing also those students that that experience this working memory overload uh, to do the yeah. the task and succeed in the next time. So this is something really, really uh, important. Yeah. Um, you had also attention there. Can I mean, in a previous talk you participated in, you had also another professor, Mark Rackett, who is very much into emotions, feelings, mm -hmm. how to regulate. Then they also affect uh, attention a lot. Uh, do you have right. any ideas how you can sort of work on the attention in classrooms? So again, this is a more general subject because if yeah. someone's attention is uh, in something it's else, then yeah. it's not much that I can do. But within yeah. the context, and, and I mean if someone is emotionally flooded or something happened yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But even within my you know narrower context, I can yeah. control students' attention by, for example, telling them what is important. Yeah. And not telling them stuff that are not important. Often as teachers, I want to tell an anecdote, a yeah. story, something that is related. It's related in my mind, but it's not necessarily related in, in their no. mind. And you can hear many teachers tell stories that their students remember the jokes, the, the story that they told about their sister or something that happened here or there or during a trip. So yeah. they remember those details, but they don't remember the content. So we have to stop and think. Uh, what's going on here and maybe sometimes especially at the beginning we have to uh, eliminate everything that is not related uh, and if you use a presentation so get rid of everything that is um, just there for the sake of um, um, being the, the presentation being pretty and sometimes also you know I'll, I'll put a, a picture of a nice rabbit because it's so cute or a yeah. cat, you know, cats usually yeah. get get used a lot. But if people' attention are are at this cat, they their attention is taken from something else. So especially at the beginning, we have to really, really think about how to focus attention intentionally. Look, this is really important. I want everyone everyone's attention to this thing right now. So pointing and and signaling in in different ways is something that can be very, very helpful. And it becomes uh, very helpful now but that we use videos, for example. Yeah. So in the video, I would do the same. I would use animation or arrows or sometimes frames. If I, For example, if I show students a whole story, either in the yeah. classroom or on the screen, I would find ways to help 
them follow. Some teachers use a ruler so students can look at yeah. just whatever or frames or pointing or everything that draws that uh, their attention Tension intentionally to the right place, yeah. the right place. so mm. um, and again it's very very important at the beginning it's less important later okay so this is some, this is a distinction that we should make that those strategies are extremely important at the beginning um, controlling the cognitive load and research shows this uh, a lot, that it's especially important for novice learners, especially important at the beginning. And then it becomes less important because then students becomes, uh, start to develop bodies of knowledge, meaningful ideas, connection. And then they can they are able to um, to control their own attention better. But at the beginning, it's extremely, it's like, a crucial step otherwise they just don't get those basic stuff no, which no. Uh, you know the elements for everything else so no. so yes i think that this is uh, something that the research as a if you know if you don't look at, at a specific thing so as a whole uh, the research is really really um definitive about taking care of those things at the beginning at at, at the early stages and for students who are, have more difficulties Um so this yeah. is something maybe that we'll yeah. learn. Is it the same like in theoretical learning? My area is like sensory-motor development. And if I train people in, in that area, when I sort of automated the function, it gets much easier exactly. to take the next step. Can I think the same in the classroom? Yes, definitely. And I think this is where we learn the most from sports teachers who, uh, sports teachers and music teachers, they know yeah. that you have to first cut things into little chunks, yeah. each every bit to the to the point that they become automated yeah. and then uh, start to connect things together. And in yeah. fact, you know, often uh, people ask, uh, can you improve? Can you do something to enlarge your capacity? Okay. We have a limited capacity. It's, it, it's given. Can you do something to enlarge this capacity? Because this is something that would enable a lot of things. And, you know, people have tried and there are a few technologies and apps and stuff like that, but unfortunately they don't work. The only thing that work is what you said. It's automate automating stuff because automated stuff are not taking place in 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 working memory. So this is the one. Then you sort of release solution. capacity yeah. in the working memory. You know, so people talk about yeah. uh, multitasking. We can't yeah. multitask because no. once we do two things at the at the same time, things suffer. Yeah, something get gets wrong in in, in both of them. But when one of the tasks is, is automated, for yeah. example, I. I can walk automatically. I can drive at this stage automatically. Yeah. So I can speak while walking or speak while driving. Okay. So yeah. this I can do. Um, so, and the same for students. You, you maybe yeah. when you notice early learners, when they, yeah. when reading becomes automatic, yeah. they can understand what they read, but yeah. not before. No. So I guess automation is the yes, one it's, it's best key, solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's just that it's difficult to get to this to this point. So some, sometimes we want to make shortcuts, mm. and we can't. And this is mm. something that I think cognitive science also tells us: uh, some it, shortcuts, some shortcuts cannot be done. <laughs> is it also parallel to like motor development or physical training? If I first I automate the skill, then I train it in different conditions, sort of yep. generalize it, and then I take the next step normally. Yep. Is is it working the same way? I, I I believe so. So again, yeah. we have some a few different learning systems in the brain, and they have some differences, but the basic stuff are the same. 
Yeah. Uh, we have to learn things first. We have to automate them. And once we generalize, we, we can learn more. And this is, you know, it's actually makes me jump kind of smoothly, but maybe it's important that we make this point to the next stop, to the next yeah. idea. Yeah. And the next idea is that learning is a process. And maybe you know that. But then again, learning is a process and it has some a few stages. And I like to identify those stages and then talk about strategies because yeah. no strategy is good anywhere and always. Okay. Each strategy, yeah. just as we spoke uh, about those um, uh, eliminating cognitive load that is very important in the beginning and not so important at, at the end of the process. So the same goes for, I believe, every other strategy. So I think that the, the second really important point about cognitive that cognitive science gives us is the fact that we have um, a process that is built of stages and that we have to go through each and every stage. Mm -hmm. um, I really like to use models. As yep. I said before, that's good. We can we cannot see our um, no, yeah, long term yeah. memory. So I like to use different models and I use a few different models in my teaching in order to make things more concrete. Of yeah. course, that uh, no model is is perfect, but I think that models are helpful. And maybe um, I'll show you a model that I use a lot. So for you, some of you um, people here, it might be um, um, overwhelming. So maybe I, I, I'm... I'm so I, I like to use uh, something that I call the network model, okay? And the network model, just a second, I will share. The network model looks like that, okay? It has dots and connectors and the mod it, it models the brain, the, the way our brain really works. Like we have neurons and we have connections between them that called synapses. And the way the brain works is that those um, neurons can be activated. And when they're activated, then the, the connections between them are activated. So what we see in a model like that is that some of them are activated, some of them are not activated. The one that is activated are in color and some connections are there and others are not. And this model is used in a lot of research. And what it can show us is that we, for example, if we have this a piece of brain, okay, uh, imagined piece of brain before we learned a new word. Uh, exam for example, if you teach me now a new word in Swedish, okay, so it's something that I don't have any representations of in my brain. But then if you teach me the word, A, for example, here, you tell me a new word, something that I've never heard before, but I connect it to the word that I know in, in, in other languages, maybe in, in my um, mother tongue, Hebrew, and maybe in English. Maybe I know if you teach me, I don't know, the word for a table, maybe? Uh, oh, how do you wood? say table? Bud. Bud. Okay. Bud. Yeah. Never heard before. Yeah. So I think, okay, bud, it's the red one. It's a table. Yeah. It's I know how to say it in Hebrew and maybe in other languages. I know how it looks like, what it's, what it's doing, what we do with it. So I start to connect this new word, bud, to things that I already know. And then after learning, so this is at the time of learning where things are active. And then after learning, some connections are kept and even get stronger. Some are lost. And this is natural. Okay, so that's, so this is how things work. Okay, this is a model. Again, very simple, yeah, but this is a yeah. model. But the idea is that this is amazing, but it's only... It, Almost no learning um, is does not happen in in one event, and 
most likely that I'm going to forget uh, this new word that I've just learned uh, if I'm not going to do stuff with it in the future. So the main point here is that we have four different stages. Again, um, four conceptual stages. You can call them in other names and people do different kinds of diagrams, but this is my way to talk about those four stages. The first one is knowing stuff, is creating those info, info, piece of information. And this is where when you see here reduced destruction and focus attention, okay? And introduce separately and in advance as I was just said before. Yeah, this yeah. is where it's really, really important to focus on these things because I don't know what's new about it. I don't know how to use it. I know nothing about this new thing. So it's extremely important to pay attention to all these um, strategies that reduce cognitive load here. Then we are talking about connecting, okay? And then we have to focus on connecting these new yeah. things to things that we already know. So we explain and we give example. This is like something else that you already know. And models like this one and analogies and images, all these are strategies and those strategies that teachers usually are very familiar with. Mapping and knowledge organizers and and, and all these ways that as teachers, we, we really use and we, we like them because they make meaning and they help us convey meaning. So this is really, really important. And it's about organization, which is the key concept of the brain. Okay, this is how we remember. Only things that are organized into schemas, into chunks, into um, networks are remembered. Otherwise, and there are, usually I do experiments with, with my students and my teacher students and everyone who comes to teach and, and teach and professionals. And we show, we do an experiment in class to show how the, how much uh, this is true. And even though that we know that, if we one day we do this experiment together, you will be surprised, even though that I'm telling about it today, because it's sometimes it's such a basic idea. And yet we kind of unaware of it. And even if we are aware, the students may, might not be aware. And then the next stage is using. And this is the stage where I really like this model for. It's really helpful because you can see that making this connection is important. But then no, nothing is use, is meaningful unless it is useful, okay? When comes the, when aha moments come, when we yeah. suddenly realize, oh, I can use this new word in a sentence to get what I want, okay? This is useful. Um, but when we look at it with this model, we realize that there is an, a complete pathway that we have to go through in order to get this information. And this pathway is made of exactly the same thing neurons and connections and whatever is there. And if we want this pathway to be there, we have to practice this pathway. And and this is why, this is where the testing effect from the beginning that I mentioned in the beginning yeah, comes yeah, into yeah. the picture, right? Yep. Because the idea is that only if we go through this pathway and practice and find those gaps, because maybe this one is not there, but all the rest is there. And all I have to do is to Make sure that this connection works in order for me to be able to retrieve the new word in the correct form in a sentence, okay? So this is where questioning and retrieval practice and, and a whole list of generative learning activities comes into the picture. And we have a lot of information from, from the cognitive and neuroscience about this. And we, but we have a challenge and maybe this is the third point, but we have a challenge in in in. in uh, making things happen okay yep. often i see the teachers really like this 
Me too. This is what we're doing now. We like to explain. We like to demonstrate. Yeah. We like to use models. We like to use examples. We like this so much. And then sometimes we neglect this. And this is extremely important. And this is why I like to put them together. To make meaning, we need this, but we also need that. So I think that this is a very important stage and 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 a big one, a lot of contribution here from the cognitive sciences. And then we comes back to this point where automations uh, come into the picture. If I do the same thing in many ways, and 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 you know you you see that the connections are stronger, but also uh, some of the little details are lost because it doesn't matter if I learned the, the new word in a conversation in the classroom from a book. At the end of the day, I know the word, the details doesn't yeah. matter and I have it and it's automated and I can use it. And this is where we become, a, it's, it, we reach mastery or fluency or automation or whatever you want to call it. But this, um, this is where things become uh, robust because we are using them in different ways, in different times, in different contexts. We use them so many times so they become really robust. They become ours, they become automated. And this is when we can go on to the next stage and learn something new, something more complicated, something more complex, use it in a different in a different context, be creative with it, and whatever we whatever our educational goals are, yeah, a, yeah. almost all of them think critically, solve problems, get creative. They're all dependent on us and our students become. Um, really fluent about those concepts that we are yeah. we have in mind so yeah. uh this is something that i think is important good interesting about this then uh, since teachers sometimes forget a little bit about the third stage then and then yeah. you have for instance those keys there how, how how should you how much in proportion for instance if it, it can't be 100% and zero, it needs to be some some balance. What, what could be best guess of a nice balance? Oh, that's that's a big <laughs> question. I, I'm not sure. But I think that we have to think about, I don't know, largely 50-50. But yeah. um, you also have to think that for a good retrieval practice, we have to space it. So it means yeah. that in one lesson, I might want to ask questions about things that were taught. Uh, one day ago, one week ago, one month yeah. ago, sometimes one a year ago. Okay, so yeah. I want to introduce new stuff, <laughs> and I think something to a point that you make that we have to make room for these strategies. We have yeah. to plan with these yeah. strategies in mind. We have to leave time in lessons. We have to leave time in programs. Okay, yeah. And you know something that I've noticed when I'm teaching, I I have a course. Students learn the science of learning. Yeah. And I would give a, a final um, um, thesis to write something. Yeah. And then I'd notice that they didn't apply very well. So I introduced something in the middle. Another, you know, something that I do very often when planning and teaching and working with others on their teaching plans. We introduce yeah. something, another task earlier. Okay. Something yeah. that, uh, and then I noticed that everything that they do in the middle stage they did amazingly in the final stage but everything that we've learned since the middle was not as good hmm. so it was you know a, a moment of you know um theory become practical because yeah. you actually yeah. see it in your own <clears throat> ways yeah. and my advice would be try to introduce those moments of retrieval into your lessons for example 10 last minutes twice a week 
are retrieval practice. Do it in a fun way. Do a, a quiz, a Kahoot or whatever. We have so many digital platforms. Use one of the advice that I like the most. Use those... Um, mini whiteboards or... White, small, yeah. mini, yeah. mini yeah. whiteboards. Just to write something yeah. on them. Yeah. Um, no hassle, no digital, nothing. And it's so effective and you'll, you'll notice the change. Uh, so this is something that if there is one recommendation that people should do... Um, it's this one. Uh, but again, it comes from me as a teacher in my own classroom all the way to the school and maybe even the programs that people um, make a retrieval practice or this stage of practice must get um, the appropriate space. Uh, and it means sometimes to teach less, but to teach it better. And this is something that we often realize that we have to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so, and and actually, the third point is about exactly about this, okay? Because they, the, the about these problems that we are currently talking about, because yeah. cognitive science also tells us why this is so difficult for teachers and for students, and the surveys that have been done that show that some, even when students know what are the best strategies for them, they don't use them. Why? And this is the big the, the big question, and I call it the um, the ice cream broccoli paradox, okay? If I want to eat something now, I'm hungry, I want something in my mouth, what would I choose? Ice cream or broccoli, okay? <laughs> so yeah. ice cream is easier, it's rewarding, it's fun, okay? Yeah. And again, if I need to practice now, I will reread, it's easy, it's nice, so I do it with my colors and, and then my pages are look really nice or my uh, digital pages and it's fun and I feel everything feels familiar to me so it's rewarding and my brain... Uh, kind of, you know, is happy. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. what? You are so good. Yeah. You're great. Um, so it's really rewarding. But on the other hand, if I and right now use retrieval <clears throat> practice, for example, I use those sample questions that the teacher gave me to do practice. So I have to answer um, ten different questions or something like that. Then it's more difficult. Uh, I might get some mistakes, which um, don't um, get me feel so so nice. I feel that I don't know the, um, the material is as good as I thought I, I, I do. Um, and these things discourage me. I don't want to do retrieval practice. And sometimes teachers don't want to do retrieval practice because they have to come up with questions and they have to deal with the ideas that what happens if, if students don't know the answers. And it's a hustle. It's difficult. Yeah. Okay. It's like eating yeah. broccoli. <laughs> okay. It's more difficult. Yeah. But I do want to eat broccoli in the long term. I do want to be to 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 have a healthy um, teaching habit, and I do yeah. want to have a healthy learning habits in to 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 drive the analogy yeah. home. Yeah. Um, so this is the 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 last um, the th the third maybe point is that we have a lot of um, well known uh, and well researched cognitive bias around learning. We overestimate our ability often, even as both as students and as as teachers. As students, I feel more confident than I'm actually. I if if someone just delivered an extremely well explained lesson, it was amazing. Okay, yeah. as a student, I feel great. Yeah. But this is an illusion because if I try to explain what I've just learned to someone else, most chances that I won't be able to do it. Another bias is the bias of stability. If I remember things now, I kind of sure that I will remember them in a week at the same level, which is absolutely not true. But it's a feeling. It's not even something that I know. It's something that I feel. 
Yeah. And if I reread stuff, I feel that I know it, even though that I don't. So these are established cognitive biases that we have to overcome, and it's difficult. And this is mm. why uh, Robert Bjork, who was your yeah. guest, and his uh, wife, Elizabeth Bjork, coined the term desirable difficulties. All mm. these strategies that makes our memory better are really desirable. We want them. This is yeah. the key idea, the key uh, strategy to make things better in the long term, but they're difficult. And this is mm. where teachers come into, into the picture, picture. I think, you know, people have, have tried stuff. We have tried to teach students, uh, uh, teaching them in those courses, learning how to learn. Okay. Yeah. Do that and do this. And this is the best <clears throat> yeah. strategies. And, and whatever I told you just now, pack it nicely, deliver to the students in schools, in universities, and it doesn't work. They don't do it, even though they know all those amazing strategies, research-based, yeah. whatever you want, they don't do it because it's difficult okay and yeah. it's just it's the same you know to give another analogy is it's just the reason that we want to practice i want to yeah. go to the gym twice a week but i don't okay so this yeah. is where other um, factors come into the picture and this is why i think is the most important role of teachers to find those ways uh, to motivate people and to create good uh, learning habits but it's a hard work yeah. Um, and this is perhaps the third thing that I really think is important, and it's <clears throat> also leading us to the fourth. But before uh, I, I I jump over to the to the last point, maybe uh, you want to introduce uh, a question. I no, don't know. No, no, no. Yeah, continue. Yeah. Continue. Um, mm. So actually, the last point I think um, connects. You know, we have a lot of interesting bits from cognitive science. We have yeah. the retrieval practice and cognitive load and automation and everything that we talked about. Yeah. I sometimes I think about it about great ingredients. We have a lot of isolated information and it's really, really good. But as we just said, it's really difficult to translate it and to make it, um, to make it work in my yeah. classroom, in my subject. And so I think that and the thing that I'm really happy about these days in 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 cognitive neuroscience and in those uh, spaces where we connect things is that researchers and practitioners um, see this, and now we see entire programs that are um, actually working according to these stages, and we can uh, talk about programs for students, but also programs for teachers because as a teacher, I need to develop, I need this yeah. knowledge. I need to know the strategies. I need to motivate myself to actually use them. And finally, I need to get um, um, professional. I need to, mm -hmm. to automate them in yeah. my practice, to use them in my classroom all, all the time to get the results. So I think that today we are starting to integrate stuff and to put uh, it. So, so the last point may be, and I'll just um, choose the right... Uh, figure for that um so i think that that my last one is an optimistic one because i think that the um, cognitive science is now a can be put in context and i'll show you uh, what i mean um so you see here on the top what i've seen what i've shown you before those four stages that only yeah. at the end of uh, if we do it correctly all the way, we get to self-directed learners, critical thinkers, creative students, etc. 
But to put it in context, we have to also think about other uh, factors like motivation, metacognition, and habits. And all of them, we have a lot of literature and evidence regarding those points. So it's another, so in one, on one hand, we want to integrate it, you know, practically. So just if you, and we have, and we can put it all in context. And again, what I, I like about this idea is that we have to think about it in stage in stages. In the beginning, we really want to talk about motivation. Yeah. To set clear goals, to show students that they are competent, okay, to make some things simple so they succeed, okay? Not, yeah. not effortful at this point. They need we need <laughs> no, to do yeah. things uh, simple so they succeed. We need to let them choose a little bit and we need to uh, felt them uh, let them feel com- um, comfortable in with their peers, with their teachers, with their uh, social context. So all those things really uh, feed into their initial motivation to learn stuff. When they start learning and then things become harder and more complicated and we start introducing retrieval practice here, then we can talk about metacognition to first to, to make sure that they believe that these strategies are good for them. Because yeah. sometimes they will say, yeah, I know about it, but it's good for everybody else. I learn in a different way. Yeah. And and often you really have to convince them uh, in some playing stuff and doing demos and introduce and then actually make them uh, monitor their own, uh, uh, monitor and control their own learning. But this takes <clears throat> practice. We, it means that I do, for example, those, uh, I do a test with those mini white words. And then a week later, I do another test. And then I tell them, you see, those words that we rehearsed last time with the mini boards, you remember them now. But mm. those words that we didn't, you can't. What's the difference? Let's talk about let's talk about it. Okay. So making things more explicit. Yeah. And last, when things when, for example, we use the mini boards every Tuesday and Wednesday. I don't know, Joe, or maybe yeah. Monday and Wednesday is better. Uh, but twice a week, very regularly, at the end of every section, lesson, topic, whatever you decide is 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 good yeah. for your teaching, then it becomes a habit. Okay. And then you get rid of the hassle of everyone take out the boards and they do other stuff and they take things from their bags. And there is, you know, every time that you use a new technology, low tech or high tech, it's always yeah. this hustle around it. And then you say, oh, no, I, I won't do it because it, it will take too much time and too much uh, mess. Yeah. But when things are hab- hab- habitual, yeah, you don't have to do. You don't have to worry mm. about it, about that. Everybody take the words out. It's take a second. They don't they know what to do. You don't have to give the instructions. Think about it. Instructions are again overloading, create a mess, and everything is is hard yeah. in the classroom. So if something is a habit, yeah. then, then it's really yeah, it's automated. For something new. Just yeah. yeah, it's automated. We can focus yeah. on the the information. And I really love the literature about habits because it it really makes us realize how these unconscious um, processes that make things habitual in our lives have a big even a huge role in the way we learn. So this is something that I think is important for students and yeah. really important for ourselves as teachers. Think about it. When you have yeah. a strategy that is um, a habit for you, something that you do, I remember as, a, as, a, as um, a beginner teacher, I just had so many things that I had to remember that I just couldn't do them and I couldn't do them well. And I think this was, I didn't know it, know it then, but it was such a realization that if I work in, separate things one step at a time make it a habit make it something yeah. that i do without thinking 
then it's time to introduce something else. I can't be good at everything at the same time. I have to, um, so so I, again, in students or people's education, it's really important, but it's also really, really important uh, in, in our own uh, process of learning and, and educating uh, ourselves. So maybe just a final point about that, okay? So there is yeah. a, um, a few things that we have to take into account in order to create habits. But we have to think about those the sequence for students, but a really, really major point and something that we see now in research too, beginning, the beginning of research too, that programs that really uh, take into consideration the cognitive stages of learning and introduce strategies that are relevant to each and every stage for teacher's education, okay? Not just for students' education, but to teacher's education too. They make more um, effective um, programs if we think about the motivation of our students. Uh, and then developing their metacognition, being aware of the problems about the challenges, and then thinking how we um, make the good things, we, we create good uh, studying or teaching habits. And then it's really something to take into consideration everything. And what I like about this figure and, and about our um, field, this field yeah. of communication, that we are at this stage right now. And I think that everyone who joins the party <laughs> um, can really um, come into a place that have the evidence, a lot of evidence, but we are now organizing them in a way uh, that makes them effective, okay? Because to, to take all these strategies into <clears throat> my classroom, yeah, I think 50% of the work is building them into the right stages. And, you know, even when I plan something, um, I really... Oh, but I, I and I really do it in a cognitive way. Okay, I think okay, I didn't take care of motivation at the beginning. I need to mm -hmm. introduce here something that is more uh, maybe active. Maybe it's a little bit easier for them to feel good. Okay, at the beginning, but then at the middle, I will introduce something that is more difficult, and they will tell me, and they will cry, and they will come. You know, this is too <laughs> difficult. Yeah. And I say, okay, I know it's 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 a problem. But then at the end, we will talk about it, and they will really realize and. And they will say, okay, it was really difficult, but it was worth it. Yeah. Um, so this is what I'm aiming for. <laughs> if yeah. you want to make it really, really simple, I want my students to come to me at the end of the process, might be the end of the year, the end of the course, and say, this was really difficult, but it was really worth it. So this is really something that um, I think in, in a way encapsulates this uh, ideas of, uh, I don't know, using those th things effectively. And and nothing about it is magic. It's it's a lot of our hard work. But the good thing is, I think I feel that I have this compass that I know how to um, make my work more effective. Because I know that if I will use retrieval practice all the time, it won't work. Okay, no. I I know that only if I have to take care of other things at the beginning and of different things later, and it helps me because I know mm. that I work in an efficient way. And I know that my chances to succeed are greater. Um, yeah. So no, it's not easy. But um, and and you have to try things and test and see if it works or not. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't work in the short term. But if you are, uh, you if you pay attention yeah. and you find out that they work in the long term, then it is also something that um, 
that you know that, that it was worth it. So, yep. Uh, this is an, in, in, in very general, I think that we have uh, a lot to learn. Yeah. A lot to practice. Yeah. And then uh, to become masters, <laughs> probably. Sure. Very concrete, I think. I like sort of uh, the way the structure. I feel also, of course, familiar because it's so much like when I coach elite athletes and sort of have a development process in in the same, uh, I same think way. That, yeah. yeah, as I said before, that if you think about athletes and the way we train athletes and musicians, yeah, yeah. a lot of the things become clearer. It's the same. Yeah. Why it's why it's clear that we have to practice how you I don't know. Um, yeah, it could be a shot put to the technique or you have some drills. It could be parts of a, just a running step. You, you right. practice small, small parts and put them together. Yeah. But then, you know, you explain me how to do this, for example, running step. And I understand. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. mean that I know how to do it. And then <laughs> no, I have to no. practice a lot. And it's <laughs> yeah, the same sure. with teaching, you know. Yeah. If you explain what's, uh, how do you say, uh, let's take something more. If you explain... Uh, complicated comp um, concept and i understand it then you yeah. sometimes as a teacher we call it the expertise blind yeah. spot you thought yeah. you are thinking as a teacher that you explain so okay now yeah. i must understand but it's the same like in sport the fact yeah. that i understood your explanation doesn't mean yeah. that i know how to use it and no sure uh, so the, the sport analogy is so effective i think yeah, yeah. Sure. very 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 yeah. much we can use it <laughs> <laughs> I think that was yeah. like a, a perfect uh, final point for this talk. And yeah, 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 it was do sports really... yeah, and do, then do, talk do about sport. it and think <laughs> yeah. about it and make analogies. <laughs> yeah. And metacognition. I had a talk the other day with uh, John Hattie and David Mitchell, and they oh. emphasized a lot uh, the use of developing metacognition in the classroom uh, together. With... It, it uh, related a lot to what you were talking about, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But one point that I would add is that when to introduce it, I would never introduce yeah. it at the beginning and and I would no, no, have them yeah. feel it first and talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, usually. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, mm. if there are questions or remarks or things, I'm always happy to uh, be in touch on the social networks or whatever yeah. works for people. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm.